Tatum drives down and throws it down. Wow. The throw rainbows it down the right side for Kyle Pitts. He's got it. He's there. Touchdown. Oh, my. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Sports Fits podcast with Moco. Here to talk about all things Florida Gators football and Boston Celtics. Follow me on Twitter at the Sports Fits pod to get updates on when I upload. I will also be tweeting out live takes and reactions of the games being played that day. If you're on Apple Music or Apple Apple Podcast Correction, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast. If you're on Spotify, just subscribe and listen to the podcast. If you're on YouTube, like, share, and subscribe. That'd be much appreciated. And this week, I'm actually switching it up a little bit. We're going to go Celtics first and then uh, Florida Gators after that. So I brought, I brought my two guys back. James and Reed is back on the podcast. Yes, sir. Yay. Thanks for having us again. Oh, yeah. I'm always glad you guys are here. It's great to have you guys on. Talked about all the stuff uh, Boston Celtics. So... We're going to jump straight into it because this game has been the biggest game, I think, of the whole year. The Jazz versus Celtics, debatable, you know, biggest next to the Sixers game. But, you know, I want to just get your first reactions and takes on the game. James, I would like to get your reaction on, on the game. Uh, I thought it was atrocious. Um, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> Celtics uh, played very poor defense, in my opinion, and were lackluster with uh, good ball movement. Uh, the Jazz were able to facilitate a lot for themselves and get open shots for their teammates. But, um, you know, I, I just didn't see that side on, on the Celtics, and I was quite disappointed with their play. Yeah, I mean, me and James, we watched the highlights together, so we pretty much, you know, he said exactly what I was thinking as well. But, um, <clears throat> you know, look like watching the Jazz play, they didn't – only Donovan Mitchell was taking – you know, any wild shots. And he didn't even take that many, you know, like everyone was open. They were taking solid, like good shots. I mean, Joe Ingles, five for 11 from three. Exactly. I mean, dude, Jingles is going off. Bobby, uh, Bogey, sorry. Uh, You know, he went two for seven from three, not super great, but I mean, he's still putting up numbers, you know, and they're all, they're just getting open. Their ball movement is impeccable. All right. Yeah. I was actually funny enough. I was going to bring up the shooting because I want to read these stats out to you guys that I found really interesting. So the true shoot, uh, I'm actually going to bring up the three-point percentage first. Funny enough, the Celtics had a higher three-point percentage that whole game at 44% compared to the Jazz 33, uh, 37%. But on the contrary, if you look at true shooting, which accounts for all, this, all the shooting that happens in the game, the Jazz were up 63% over the Celtics 56%. And that reflects on what, what uh, Reed was saying about, you know, Donovan Mitchell is the only one taking crazy shots. But most of the shots, bogey, jingles, uh, Clarkson were taking were all – smart uh smart picked like three they weren't like just throw it up there and hope for the best they were all smart good uh created from ball movement whatever happened was all smart shots i mean that was just crazy to see that the celtics had a high usually you know with the higher three-point percentage on every game the celtics play usually means we win but you know we just got absolutely clapped by the by the jazz and um i also we were talking a little earlier about rudy gobert uh james can you reiterate what you're talking about with rudy gobert uh earlier um, yeah, I, I, I mean, Rudy Gobert, he, he's, a, he's a hard force to stop in the paint, which I was also, uh, when we talked about this last time, that I, I, uh, I think that he it really needs to be, be able to be boxed out and keep away from right under the basket because that's where he's going to get all the offensive boards. You know, we, the Celtics don't have that tall of, tall of a team to be able to stop a, a guy like Rudy Gobert, who's so efficient in the paint. 
which is where I come in and always say that, oh, Robert Williams would be a really good uh, fit to try and box him out. But even that game, he struggled. So I, I think that it was uh, it's apparent that, you know, everybody needs to be able to shift on defense to be able to help out with those guys down low, along with the guys that are coming that are staying well on the, on the perimeter and can shoot really efficiently. I mean, we mentioned last time that the uh, that the Jazz are shooting uh, or their entire starting lineup are shooting basically 40 percent field. So, you know, with with that being said, everybody's got to be able to do their part and there can't be any holes in the Celtics defense to be able to allow those kind of easy points to happen. Yeah, I mean, to me, just watching the highlights from the game, it seemed like it was an effort thing, honestly. I mean, Rudy Gobert was just pushing harder in the paint. You know, I mean, no one no one was boxing him out, just like James said. Uh, definitely the paint was a problem, but I thought, I mean, despite the Celtics having a higher three point percentage, I think that the perimeter shooting was like the serious problem. Yeah. I mean, Rudy Gobert is a big, big guy and he's pretty hard to like, you know, defend and all that, but just because like he is debatably the best defensive center and probably like, he's probably a really good rebounder too. So that really makes him a force Mm -hmm. in the inside. And Mm -hmm. like for a team like the Celtics who aren't, who don't who doesn't have that big you know like rebounding defensive center like an Andre Drummond or a Joel Embiid? It's right. really hard for us to fight in the paint, and we've always been preaching this, you know, like fighting for re- like we don't have as many rebounds as the other team, or like our just overall in, in perimeter. Like I guess our overall defense, you could even say, is not that great. It was the and, overall defense. Yeah, it was uh, in this game in particular. I would say mm-hmm. that it was the overall defense, but. To your point, I think that, you know, normally the, the the biggest type of hole in the defense is down low because you guys don't have that great of centers or power forwards to be able to hold down as strong centers as Rudy Gobert. Yeah, and um, I was going to say quickly about uh, – I think the perimeter defense will get figured out once Marcus Smart gets back and starts pushing right. those guys like a Michael Jordan, yeah. you know, getting that mentality back with the exactly. perimeter guys. But I think the interior definitely needs to get fixed. We don't – I know Tristan Thompson is a good veteran, you know, leadership in that, you know, in the big man room. But, you know, he's, he's – He was not getting that, bumped around all He was getting game. bumped around. He's not he's, – he's six foot eight compared to uh, Joe, uh, Rudy Gobert's like seven foot something. Mm-hmm. So it's, he's got that little like four to six inch difference, which is not going to help him against guys like Joel Embiid or Rudy Gobert. So it's not going to be fun. And transitioning, you know, just like crappy everything like I was saying or even just crappy interior paint, like – there was a question I, I was going to pose this podcast is what we're mainly going to focus on or attention on is that should the Celtics fans be worried about our team and how we're performing? Because last time I checked, we haven't gone on a, like a, a long win streak since January, like early January. So like, like first, second week. And ever since then, we've been either like win, win, lose, lose, or like win, lose, win, lose. We've never had like a good winning streak. We never got like a, a rhythm going. And like James, what do you think of that? Like, you know, just like, should we be worried? Should the Celtics fan be wor- uh, fans be worried? As of right now, I do believe that they should be worried. And um, you know, like looking back, especially on on this uh, on this uh, game and a couple games from last week, you know, uh, I, I I mentioned briefly in the last podcast that you know the the assist numbers are extremely down, and teams are just blowing them out of the park with. Um, with that matchup and you know with the with the uh, with the Jazz they had I believe 28 assists compared to uh, the Celtics 18 if I'm not wrong and um, the uh, like having that kind of stat line there it just shows 
what team had the better ball movement and where the ball is actually going to uh, succeed in going to in going into the basket. You know, with when you have a lot of this ISO play and guys are just taking up shots and trying to create their uh, their own shots. You know that it hurts the team's one chemistry along with uh, hurting the team's efficiency. So when you have those factors in together, it just it it it, it, it comes out to the equation of just having a really bad a, a really bad offensive stretch. And they need to be able to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I don't like to as much as I do on this podcast. I don't like to. Um, disrespect brad stevens at all or anything but I mean, <laughs> his, you're his, always clowning on brad <laughs> his, his gameplay like i said it just doesn't change that often so like you know having this kind of play consistently is hurting the team and i think that the that celtics fans deserve to uh to get some new type of play i mean it, it's clear that the that the celtics are struggling with uh with keeping up with this new type of play where it's threes and fast breaks and easy layups and you know as as simple as that sounds it can be extremely difficult to guard so when so when on defense they need to be able to to um to be able to block those instead of being allowing guys to just drive right past them i mean i could i could tell you eight different plays that uh, and where I saw in the Wizards game that uh, Tristan Thompson just let his man just drive past him because he's too slow to keep up with him. I mean, you got to be able to, uh, to shift and to switch with your, uh, with your teammates and, and talk and communicate on the court. And I don't see that with the Celtics right now. No, I mean, me and James were talking about it uh, before we came here as well. Um, the the defensive IQ of the Celtics definitely is lacking. I mean, there was no help on defense. It's always a one-on-one situation or one or 2v1, uh, you know, with the Celtics um, having only one guy. Like, it really is – they're having huge, huge problems on, on defense. Uh, and it's it's the team, team defense, you know, because, I mean, yeah, they have – like, the players that are on the – the, the court are not the best defenders but I didn't see anything where I was like the 1v1 defense was like atrocious you know like there were a couple plays that it wasn't great but like it, to me it seemed like the team defense was the main problem you know especially with the jazz game where the jazz are notorious this season for having impeccable ball movement um there was just no help you know it's like it's just tough when you're not communicating you know like James said yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just like as a Celtics fan. You guys aren't like, like as big Celtics fans as I am, but like yeah, as a Celtics fan, this is like, like this is hurting my soul to see it sh- this. It should be I, if I was, if I was like a, a big Celtics fan, you know, like I would be quaking in my boots, dude. Like this, this, this is bad, you know. Or at <laughs> least not... these, the two games, like uh, me and James watched the, the Jazz and Wizards uh, highlights, and both of those games, like I was, like the defense was, it was scary. Yeah, I'm honestly not like as quaking in my boots because just because I see there's hope on the bench, like Grant Williams is coming up, like he's still like he's progressing still throughout the season, even with our flaws and losses and stuff. He's progressing. I feel like he's doing pretty well. Ojale is playing really well, which I'm, I'm happy for him because like he's been on this team for quite a bit. Same with Peyton Pritchard still stepping up, you know, when he can because he's not getting as many minutes, but she should be getting more. Same with Rob Williams as well. These young guys are, are stepping up and they're progressing. I feel like they need to get more minutes. And I see James trying to flag me for something about uh, the young guys. Yeah, the, like, 
I, I want to emphasize this too, uh, because you know, as much as like right now we're we're you know talking poorly about the Celtics team in general, the the team has good players. Let's not mm-hmm. let's let us let us let us not get that twisted. The team exactly. is a solid team. It's just them their chemistry and working together and being able to uh, to uh, work together on the floor to make these guys that they have matchups with not, like not destroy them. Like I th- personally, I think that in the jazz game, they were lucky to be as close as they were. That the game should have been a blowout, but realistically the team as the Celtics, the, the team is a solid team. It just needs a lot of work. So I do think that they can be a really good team, especially looking forward into the, uh, in, in uh, looking pass into the future of the uh, the playoffs but realistically they need to be be able to work out those tiny kinks to be able to win those games because there are a lot of close games especially recently that they should have easily won and there are also games like the jazz where they should have totally gotten blown out and were lucky to be as close as they did so I think with those factors into it, that with those factors that are added onto it, they just need to be able to work together and be able to come together as a team and know that they have to be able to rely on each other. And if they if they can't, then maybe it it could be a a, a reason to uh, to to move some positions around and maybe get, move some guys off the team and do some trades, you know pick some uh, valuable guys up in the off season. I mean, we noticed a lot, especially in these past years that the Celtics aren't ridiculously uh, invested in the off season. They don't grab a a lot of huge names. They don't try and get a lot of guys that are trying to, you know, uh, that, that could change a lot about a team. So I think that, with that being said, that uh, the, the Celtics just need to work out those little things and or make big moves in the offseason this, uh, this next one coming up. Yeah, I mean, I actually, the, the offseason thing, I'm super happy that you brought that up because I, like, completely agree with that. Um, there, I feel like, I don't know if this is necessarily true or not, but just from a Nets what, fan, of course. what I get. <laughs> hey, shut up. Shut up. I don't want to hear that. No, no, no. I'm saying that the Nets did something right with grabbing some big oh, names, you know what I'm oh, saying? Oh, yeah, no, for sure. And, I mean, something, you know, uh, like like James said, you know, Boston's not making a lot of moves in the offseason. And I don't know if this is necessarily true, but from, from an outsider's perspective looking in, I feel like the Celtics are too confident in their process or their develop their player development or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like they're very, it seems like they're very confident that Brad Stevens is going to make a system work. Cause he's a great coach, obviously, you know, he great X's and O's guy, like obviously he knows what he's doing. Um, but I feel like they have almost too much confidence in him to bring these guys like into to the next level. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think Kyrie really did like put a nail, a nail in his brain about that stuff just because like he couldn't handle Kyrie and like Kyrie's a personality. I mean, even as a Nets fan, I do not like Kyrie. Yeah. As a personality, he's really bad. Like I can agree. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he's toxic. He's no, (laughs) definitely. No, he's, he's not, not a good, not a good locker room guy at all. But um, Um, yeah, I mean, what were you saying? I was going to say like, uh, just continue on with that. It's just funny that that's why we thought, Kemba was going to be a good option just because he's a good locker room guy. He played really right. well the first couple, like year or two. I don't exactly remember how many years he, he's in his contract now, but I remember his first year. He was really good for the Celtics. 
now I don't know what's going on. Like he's not this Kemba of old. So mm-hmm. it's kind of tough to, you know, see what's happened to him. Like why maybe the injury, I don't know. I mean, I think also like a big problem that the Celtics are facing right now is consistency with right. the players. Like Jason yeah. Tatum is not playing consistently at all. I think in the wizards game, he had six points. Like, yeah. I mean, that's just, that's terrible. There should be no reason for Jason Tatum to not get double digit points every night. You know, I mean, he played 23 minutes, which is not an insane amount compared. I think he played 38 uh, at the jazz game. So yeah, he played a lot less minutes, but still, I mean, he went three for 14. Like that's bad. You know, like that's bad. James, did you yeah. have something to say about Tatum? Uh, yeah. I mean, like I just, I, I, I agree with everything that you were saying, but I mean, like, it's just frustrating when you see a lot of your, especially your star players that can't perform at the level that you're used to seeing. And, you know, especially during the season, which is a hard season, don't get me wrong, especially with all the things that are going along with COVID and games being postponed left and right, mm-hmm. you know, injuries are still a factor in the league, you know, it, it's, you know, a lot, a lot of that you you do have to take into account, and you know, like we like we mentioned a couple episodes ago, that you know, Kemba's injury could totally be what's you know uh, bothering him with his with his shooting or you know just in, his game in, in general. But I, I you know with 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 Jason Tatum, I think that he really needs to be able to, especially in the year that he's in, which I I can't remember exactly what year. Uh, he, or how many years he's been in the NBA for, but um, you know, at, at this point, he should be able to be stepping up to a full leader position and, and making sure that he gets the amount of shots that he's comfortable with, getting the amount of points that he's comfortable with, and being able to do the part for his team and be able be able to lead them to the victory. And there are times, especially like in the Wizards game, where I just don't see that at all and it it, it 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 must be very frustrating as a Celtics fan to be able to watch that yeah and uh I I can totally agree and uh we're starting to run out of time a little bit so I'm going to do this uh, as part of our one minute hot takes because I'm going to do two so first thing if you were the GM of the of the Celtics right now and you had executive power to do one thing to fix this team what would it be James real quick one minute Ooh, or even less a, than one minute let's do 30 seconds that's a good say, like your one sentence what would you do I think that I would hmm, – I think that I would probably get a new coaching staff. Not necessarily get rid of Brad Stevens, but I think that I would get, get a new assistant Assistance. coaching staff so that it would help out and relieve the weight of Brad Stevens a little All bit. Right. Reed, what was your th- what's your one-second fix? for? I might be subjects? too quick on the trigger here, but I would trade Kemba. <laughs> I'm, I'm being dead and i'm being dead serious yeah, too today. no I, I i agree and i think we could we could potentially get you know if we're not okay either one thing is either trade kemba mm-hmm. or go really hard that are actually that's really a future thing but like i think for this season trade kemba or yeah i think that's the only thing i could really see is that trade kemba because i think our young guys are progressing well enough and i think it'll be fine like as long as we get we need another like big like name big guy like that can help us out like you know get some pressure off Tatum and Brown and also like maybe help mentor and develop these young guys yeah so i think that's yeah. how i see it so i don't th- next- i don't think trading for picks is like a good idea for the Celtics yeah. right now you got to capitalize yeah. on Tatum and Browns Definitely. they're getting into their primes now you know yeah i agree and hope and we have to sign Tatum this offseason so hopefully he stays with us and 
you know, we have those guys locked up for four years and we'll be fine. Then we yeah. need to like maybe trade Kemba and get another big guy that can like maybe a big defensive center, maybe get Rudy Gobert. I don't know, something like that. But not get <laughs> good Rudy luck Gobert, getting him out of Utah. Get us someone yeah. similar, you know, that could work. Uh, but yeah, so our next minute uh, minute take that we'll do real quick is um, so Bradley Beal says he doesn't want to be traded, but I think we should, you know, maybe you should hypothesize some some potential trade <laughs> destinations. So that's what um, I feel about that. J- James, where would you trade uh, Bradley, or where would you want Bradley Beal to be at? At this time, With, without a doubt, if I had to pick one team, it would Say be it. Portland Trailblazers. Yes, that's what I like to hear. Ray, do you agree? I I want I would love to see him in Portland, dude. That would be so sick. I think you and I think he would work good there too. I mean, he's just like a solid scorer, you know. I think, and he's also he's a pretty good facilitator. He picks up some boards. Uh, I mean, he's got two steals right now at the half. You know, getting me a nice. Nice, uh, fan, nice, <laughs> nice on my fantasy roster, but um, no, I mean he's a, definitely a solid player. I could definitely see him working in Portland. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I I'm trying to think if there's any place that like that could be different. I'm not trying to say the Blazers like you. I'm trying to like think of something different that may not be like. Well, I also, kinda, I'm also trying to think of another place. I can't. I really mean, see any, I, I, I just don't. Maybe see Miami. Any. I don't know. Maybe Miami would be a good spot. I don't know. I, I, I think an underdog or one that's flying under the table a little bit, which you guys might be like, what the hell are you talking about? But I think that he would be solid on the Kings with Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald. Oh, God, trade Heald for, for, for Heald I could, for... No, I could see that. I could see him Heald, working Heald on the Heald Kings. Was already on but my, yeah. my, only thi- my only thing about moving him to these teams is they don't have the assets to acquire him without getting rid of one of their stars already because right. like, yeah. they need the they need they need them to work in tandem you know like bradley mm-hmm. beal cannot be on his own you know yeah. or he can he can obviously put up he can fill up a stat sheet every night but i don't see him leading a team to consistent wins right like by he himself. shouldn't be on him by himself yeah oh I, mean, my God. I, just, I agree with that yeah. i just thought about it how about trading him to the warriors and having clay beal and thompson could <laughs> It could. <laughs> I mean, hey, that's a hot would, take. It's a hot take. It's a hot. That, that is hot definitely take. a that is a hot, hot take. Because we I know mean, Thompson could play the, th- the three, so I think it could work. It could work. You don't know. I'm not saying it's legit. Like it's not like a safe pick going hot take kind of deal. So possibly, possibly. Be, able to, be able to the Warriors. And definitely not the definitely not the last place I would put him. Yeah, and that's yeah, gonna run, run out of time for us. But you know, you know, it's been fun. We can always go on this t- conversation more at the midseason mark. But, you know, Celtics fans, let's not be worried just yet. We'll hold, hold on hopes that we can get this team together. For right now, we should be worried. For now. But, yeah, for the Celtics side, this is, this is it. Do you guys have any last things, uh, last minute things before we uh, sign off? Oops. Just keep your heads up. Keep your heads up. <laughs> I agree. Keep your heads up, everybody. But, yeah, this will be it for the Celtics, got, uh, Celtics side. I will see you all next week. Peace. And we are back, yes. And I didn't really give a really an explanation about why I switched it up, so – the reason why I switched it up is just because the Celtics have a lot more to talk about because because there's games every week and the Florida Gator stuff, off, you know, the off season doesn't have as much going on, so there's not as much to talk about. But, you know, I'll still try to bring out content, you know, like updates every week or maybe like, you know, teams that are in our conference or in, you know, in the state of Florida that, you know, have relevancy to the Florida Gators or could have impact, like outreaching impacts in the future for Florida Gators that you should like think about in the off season while we, while we approach the 2021 season. So for right now, I have a quick overlook of the 2021 season. So I'm just going to talk about, 
you know, like what we're going to have to fa- play against, what, what teams are going to have to face, and also like how is that compared to us? Like you know, I'm always going to tie it to the Florida Gators, but like I'm going to be talking about Georgia especially because in my mind, I feel like Georgia is the only team that we really need to worry about in the East. So that's like my little hot take, but I think that, um, you know, uh, Tennessee, South Carolina, Kentucky won't be as good. You know, just looking at the recruiting numbers from last year and also just looking in general, at the uh, at the schedules and stuff, so I think it's not going to be as bad. Like if you look at Kentucky's ranking, they're 12th in the SEC is not that great, and then South Carolina's 14th, and then uh, Missouri's going to be it's up there a little bit, but I don't think we have to worry about them as much. And then we have you know we have uh what the uh was it oh yeah Tennessee we have Tennessee they're sixth with nine nine spot, uh, four stars, which is really surprising for me that uh, Tennessee scored that many uh, guys uh, in recruiting just because. You know, it was a new uh, coach, tra- like coaching hire, and you know, it's usually hard for them to get a decent signing class uh, at the year. You know, at, at, like run the first year they come in. Like I'm trying to put these words together, but yeah, like the first year they come in is usually pretty hard for them to recruit really well compared to most other t- other teams. So, you know, it's crazy they they did they did that. And, you know, maybe Josh Hyper brings a new like you know face to Tennessee. Maybe they'll be better in a couple years. But I think right now, like at least looking straight at 2021. They're like basically going to be a non-threat unless they somehow transform the the offense and defense in a matter of a of a spring and summer, which is highly unlikely. So, you know, as we talked about in the schedule, the main uh, issues. And funny enough, I thought you know Tennessee and Kentucky were going to be like the wild card games, or even Missouri. Like you know they're going to be like tough like hiccup games if we don't take them seriously. But after looking at it more in depth, you know I think the only real threat is Missouri. Just because you know how they're consistent, they've been like there's no new like crazy coaching hires with them, so they should be the only real threat outside of LSU and Georgia, which is the big team we have to worry about. Because you know South Carolina's got Shane Beamer, so another you know coaching uh, rotation out, and you know plus we're playing them uh, right after Georgia, which is actually the only problem. But they're also the worst recruiting class in the SEC, so I don't think we need to worry about them too much. So yeah, I mean honestly, I'm mainly going to talk about how Georgia's you know schedule impacts us because we both. Both teams have a bye right before the Florida Georgia game, so that's gonna. I think that's gonna eliminate anything like you know pre like games before the week that is gonna tire us out or anything like that. So we'll both be fresh. We'll both have an extra week to prepare for each other. So I think it'll be a well fought game, regardless. Of, you know how much talent we lost and how much Georgia has lost a decent amount of talent too on the defensive side, and I think that's gonna really impact their defense next year. I mean, Curry Smart always has to again always is the best one of the greatest game planners on defense always having the number one defense in many years. So, you know, I'm not going to be too worried about it. But, yeah, I mean, they're, I mean Georgia, it, if we're looking at the SEC East, I think the two teams we really need to be concerned about is Georgia and Florida for who's going to make it to the SEC East, uh, who's going to represent the SEC East in the SEC championship game. And, uh, I mean, looking at Georgia's schedule, I mean, that's like the big thing that's going to decide, like, how, who's gonna, how many wins or losses they're going to have. They have first, on, like, automatically start with Clemson. And I think that'll dictate how the rest of the season is going to go for them. Like, if they play really well against Clemson, they're both, Clemson and them are both fresh coming into 2021. You know, I think JT Daniels, like, being, like, considered relatively new compared to that. And also, they're going to have a new, they're probably going to have Ulongo, Ulongo, uh, what is it? Uh, Clemson has Ulongo, who is, I can't say his name, my bad. But, yeah, he, I can't say his name, but he's actually had some experience last, uh, last year or last season. Uh, when they play against Notre Dame and a bunch of and a couple other games, so he'll he's not going to be like a fresh off the fresh off the depth chart uh, quarterback. So I think they both have a decent amount of experience. So you know whoever wins or loses is going to show how well they're going to play for the rest of the season. So I I'm going to go off that Georgia's going to lose 
just because I feel like Clemson is able to rebound better with their recruiting and stuff. I think they're just a niche above, like a little uh, step above uh, Georgia when it comes to recruiting. So I'm going to say that's a loss. I'm going to assume that's a loss. I'll go with the other scenario if they win. But if they lose, that's going to set a bad tone for Georgia. And that gives us, you know, Florida fans hope, you know, that, you know, Georgia starting off with a bad foot. Maybe we start off good with our two Florida uh, wins against the Florida teams, Florida Atlantic and, US, and USF. So that could be a really good thing. We, we start more like morally at a different uh, morale, uh, morality with a different, like, you know, outlook on the season uh, off those first wins. But um, the big thing about um, Georgia before we have to play them, they have to play Arkansas and then Auburn right, at, right after each other. I think what uh, Sam Pittman is doing at Arkansas is really good. And, like, I feel like he can upset any, any big team in any, any game. You know, we saw that with Florida, like how many points he put up. I mean, his defense has to improve if he wants to upset. But I feel like his offense could, if he keeps, keeps going, like keeps making the steps up the ladder, he can easily, like, upset any, any big team if he keeps this momentum going. Auburn, we'll see what, um, what's his name? Their coach, uh, Brian Harson. We'll see what the Brian Harson can do at Auburn. But I feel like they're playing also at Auburn, so that gives them the advantage playing playing in Auburn over playing at Georgia. So that's going to be a good sign that it could be another hiccup game if Georgia isn't on their toes for that game. So, you know, we could be, we could be going into the, uh, the, the famous rivalry game in Jacksonville with, either, uh, with Georgia having one or two losses, which is, you know, gives hope. You know, I'm trying to be optimistic about it. I'm very – I am usually am pretty pessimistic because I don't want to put my hopes up too high. Like, I want to see, like, the, the evidence before I, like, get hyped up. Like, last year, you know, I thought there was enough evidence saying, like, we could win the SEC East. We could go to the – playoffs but you know that really just tumbled down after the end of the after the end of the Alabama game so you know I'm going to put up I'm going to put a little bit of hope on the Florida fans that week Georgia could be coming in with two losses I'm at that second loss it's I'm not guaranteeing it but I'm saying you know I'm I can guarantee that Clemson might upset well might get a get a win over over Georgia so I could say that could potentially be a, like a 60 40 you know uh, win over Clemson, uh, win, uh, Clemson, uh, win over Georgia. Yes. And Auburn, I think it's 70, 70, 30. So it still has a chance. And that would really put our hopes up because considering that Georgia, I mean, um, Florida, the only game that we really have to worry about is Alabama. Alabama is the only loss that we'll really have. And that's going to be a respectable loss, you know, playing against Nick Saban and his re his retooled team. Cause he's still going to bring in like his seven, five stars from the last 2021 recruiting class so he's going to still be you know at his at his you know you know still still rolling down the hill he's not nothing stopping him because you know he's able to recruit at a high level and bring these guys in that he needs to make his team good every year so I feel like if we play Alabama well and if Georgia gets one or two losses on their schedule I think that's going to make it pretty even you know I'm, I'm going to talk about in future weeks which I'll talk I'll, I'll bring up later in the show about like the offensive defense but for right now just based off just schedules and how we understand you know, how our teams are usually expected to play. It's going to be a fun matchup. Again, like, it's not going to be a blowout, hopefully. And plus, with the bye week, we'll have uh, – Dan Mullen will have time to game plan because that's his best – that's what he does best. He's able to game plan, especially with a lot of time. He's able to game plan against any team and put up a fight no matter what. That's what we did against Georgia. That's what we did against Alabama, even though we lost. We kept it close. It shows that Dan Mullen has the ability to, to be the X's and O's quarter, uh, head coach that we need to out – you know, I guess out coach – other coaches on game day, which is great, but you know the recruiting, as I have mentioned before, is not as great. But as I said, X's and O's, he's great. So I'm looking at it just on game on game day stuff. It looks good. I mean Georgia. I mean every other game, it didn't seem. I didn't really see any games that really would 
stand out to me like because the east is really weak this um this uh this year just because you know south carolina's got a new coach tennessee's got a new coach kentucky will be okay and missouri will be okay but um it's not going to be as as tough as it usually was because i think tennessee like a year or two years ago same with um missouri uh and tennessee will usually be like good good fights uh on game day so i'm not too worried and then south carolina has been south carolina vanderbilt we we all know what vanderbilt has been so we're not going to talk about them and plus, there I'm looking at Georgia's uh, Georgia's out of, out of conference games. Like, there's nothing that stuck, uh, sticks out. Like UAB, Charleston, Charleston Southern, there Alabama. I mean, Clemson, of course, is their only out of out of uh, out of conference game that really needs to be worried about for us. I mean, we don't have any big out of conference games. It's just that we have Alabama to worry about. So, you know, I think if if we so let's look at this hypothetical. So if we're looking at Georgia versus Alabama, and we're going to Clemson versus Georgia. What win looks better on the resume? And uh, and me personally, I feel like that, uh, you know, I think if we get a win over Alabama, I think that's going to be better for the resume over a win against Clemson. Because I think we all know Alabama is a step above, you know, uh, or Alabama and Nick, uh, Nick Saban is a step above Dabo Sweeney and Clemson. So if we somehow pull the upset with the lack of talent that we have or lack of, you know, big-time players like Kyle Pitts and Kyle Trask like we had in 2020, I think that's going to be, show a lot more just because I think Georgia has a lot more talent and has a lot more players that are, like, impact returning, like, you know, JT Daniels is returning, returning, George Pickens is returning. So they'll have players that, that can you can say, like, oh, they won because they had these skill players back. But, no, Georgia is starting – I mean, Florida is starting fresh, I feel like, with a lot of players just because how we played last year, we played a lot of seniors – which did not let the young guys play, uh, get game time. And, you know, we're basically playing them raw going into 20, uh, 2021. Cause I'm saying it raw, like I'm minusing the spring practice and summer that's usually given every year. But, you know, generally I think our roster is pretty young and it's pretty raw as a, as a whole team with not much experience. You know, we have a couple guys, seniors like Trey Dean and stuff that will hopefully lead. Same with Damian Pierce. We have guys that can hopefully lead this team. You know, give some veteran, you know, mentorship and, and you know, like discipline these uh, the younger guys to be able to bring that Gator standard every game. And hopefully those these guys can, bring, can adopt that mentality and be able to play at a high level every single week. But for the, I mean, just the sum of the whole Georgia thing, I feel like we have a chance again to make the SEC East. I mean, I won't, I don't think our hopes should be as high just because we had, we don't have this, you know, outstanding quarterback. You know, we have Emory Jones, we have Anthony Richardson, but I don't. You, you see those names, and you don't see like a flashy name that could really stick out and be like, oh, we can. We have a Heisman level quarterback like a Mac Jones or a Kyle Trask, Trevor Lawrence, that kind of type. So I mean, that's going to be tough to see what Dan Mullen. I like. It's going to be tough to see what, you know, what Dan Mullen seems up for them because you know this is. I mean, he's hopefully going to play. His style of offense better just because he's more he uses a lot more QB runs back with Dak Prescott and all them. So maybe Emory Jones will fit it better and maybe he'll, you know, be able to play his offense and be able to make Florida be a better offense than it was in twenty twenty, maybe. We don't know. Maybe in a year or two, when when they have Emory and Anthony Richardson to develop a little bit more, it could be a better it could be a better outlook on like, you know, every year every season because, you know, we have a good quarterback now because, you know, like in twenty twenty three because um Emory Jones has had time to develop, or Anthony Richardson becomes that type of Kyle Trask quarterback, whatever. But the point being that we we have a lot of unknowns. We don't have any certainty like we had last year, last season. So I'm I'm praying, you know. And also we not to mention we had the Florida State game again. I forgot we had that's that's our out of state um 
Ohio State rivalry game that we usually have every year. And Florida State is getting a lot better. I'm I'm surprised with their, you know, their recruiting and Mike Norvell's doing a lot with with uh, with Florida State, and it's just surprising to me. I mean, also Miami, but Florida State 22 in the in the recruiting rankings, which is really good. Last year they're 27. They're moving up. They're getting a lot of four stars. They're recruiting Florida really well, which also transitions to the next part I want to talk about. You know, I, I want to transition somehow to this, but talking about the Gus Malzahn hire at UCF, which is going to impact Florida as a whole just because you have that SEC experienced quarterback in a, week, a, like a debatably a weaker conference like the AAC, and he's able to recruit at a high level. Think about it. You have Florida State, UCF, and, and Miami to worry about every year now in recruiting. And not to mention, if we play these teams, imagine if we had to play UCF and a, like a Florida State every year. Or like a, one of these years, and imagine if Gus Malzahn brings this this team back up to like the 2018 standard of like undefeated. We could go to the national champion. We should be national champions. Whatever. Imagine he does that with UCF. That's gonna be crazy. I mean, it's a very more low key job for him, so I think it'll be easier for him to like be out of spotlight and be able to do his thing. I'm pretty sure that UCF's gonna hand the reins to him, so he'll be able to have full control of the program. And it's just gonna be another thing that I like that like it struck me like la- I think it was like last week when he got hired or a couple days ago when he got he got knighted you know knighted because the UCF knights when he got knighted into the program it just it it just scared me just a little bit just because what he what he can do with the recruiting trail that could impact our recruiting not to mention what what um oh, Mark not Mark D'Antonio but uh, uh Manny Diaz what Manny Diaz is doing in Miami and Mike Norvell is doing in Miami for recruiting that's gonna suck away a lot of talent that Florida could try to get. And that's what I've been trying to push with the recruiting is that we need to now, especially with, since Malzahn's at UCF, we need to push recruiting hard, high school recruiting hard. I know we're doing good at the transfer portal, a lot better than these other teams, but we need to push high school recruiting and JUCO recruiting harder in the coming years just because of what is going on in Florida. And especially when I talked about putting a, a wall around Florida, you know, if we put a wall around Florida now, I'm looking at Gus Malzahn like, oh my God, we had to fight. We have to compete against these three guys now. If we're if we're only trying to like recruit big in Florida, we still have to recruit against three big names, and that's going to be tough for for Florida to handle just because they're not they haven't been as good as we want them to be because they are proven to be especially with 2020 now they're proven to be a you know SEC competing at, at like even potentially playoff you know in the hunt type of team, and it's just going to be terrible if we start, if our recruiting starts to fall. I mean that also means our team's going to start falling as well. And then we're going to have like teams like Miami and Florida State and UCF go, back, go up like on an upturn or like going up on the graph. And it's just going to look bad on, on Florida. And then it's going to pull away even more recruits. You know, there's a chain reaction to that. But yeah, it's just not – I saw that higher and it was just – it just hit me just a little bit as a Florida fan just being a little worried about the recruiting part especially. We don't have to play them every year, thank God. But, you know, it's, it's just – recruiting, man, I don't, I don't talk about it that much on this podcast, which I probably should get into more. But recruiting is definitely a big, uh, big, you know, uh, I guess like um, thing on the billboard for for Dan Mullen to need to be like, or on the, you know, like from the whiteboard, you know, you write your little uh, like things you need to improve or things you need to do. I think the number one thing on that on that whiteboard should be like get better at recruiting, hire better assistants, or maybe something. I don't know what else they need to do. hire more hire more staff or like put more money into. You know, getting the, getting these recruits out, not money, getting, not putting more money in there. Not we're not we're not Tennessee, put giving out money in McDonald's bags, but you know, invest more like invest more money and time into like the assistants who need that you know that financial help with recruiting. Maybe, like we're not going to give kids money. That's stupid. We're not going to be dumb at recruiting, like some of these schools that get caught. We're going to be smart and we're going to play well. We have that Florida name brand. 
that can easily pull any kid if we recruit them right and play and show our achievements and show that Dan Mullen can be your coach that he can be your like your friend your coach your everything at Florida and that can be you know your home I guess your home for the next how many years until you go to the NFL and that and also prove you know that we've brought we've uh, developed kids into NFL talents like Kyle Pitts and Kyle Trask so yeah I mean the Gus Malzahn hire overall, I'm not going to hate on it. I think that's a really good hire for UCF. He's coming from Auburn, has a really good recruiting background, you know, and he's going to bring a lot for UCF. So I think for UCF, in a UCF, um, you know, bubble, I think that's great. But as a Florida fan, I would be worried just a little bit. You know, I wouldn't be worried too much because he's not like in a Power 5 conference with all that money and TV deals, whatever he needs, you know, all that stuff. But I think he should still be worried just because he has that name, you know, Malzahn, known to beat Alabama, I don't know how many times, he didn't do that many times, but he was able to beat, compete with Bama, compete in the SEC West. Imagine what he could do in the UC, at UCF, you know, against Houston, uh, Cincinnati, and all these teams, Tulsa. It's going to be scary. I think the AAC is going to be a very scary conference in the future, especially with Malzahn there. It's going to be fun to watch. I think UCF is going to be a fun team to watch in the future. So, yeah, I mean, that's it for all the stuff I really wanted to talk about. Hopefully, I think for the next couple uh, weeks I'm going to talk about the offense and defense I'll probably split it up so I'll do like offense probably next week and then I'll do defense the week after and just go overview like what we have after since we have national signing day done and everything we'll go over what we have and what I think could work I mean there's a lot of things that can go on you know with the with the recruiting and stuff I mean with the recruiting later but let's talk about what we got for next year what we can use what we can utilize to be able to beat these teams next year like Georgia you know, like in Alabama, and see if we have a chance. I mean, we have, I think we have the talent if we get them trained up for next year. I think we have a chance. Like, I'm not going to say we guarantee to beat them. I think we have a chance like we did in 2020. We have a chance to beat these teams next year. But, yeah, that's it for the floor side. I will see you all next week. And, actually, I'll see you all next week because this is actually the end of the podcast. So, I'll see you all next week. Everybody, peace.